0: Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey guys, I spend the first 20 minutes of this talking about the events that happened this week in Washington, D.C. If you are not interested in hearing politics or my thoughts on politics, please feel forward to skip to 20 minutes and that's where I start the Teen Mom Talk. Okay, thanks. Hey everyone. How are we? (laughs) What a week, huh? It's been, it's it's been a week is how you would say it. Um, I hope everybody is doing okay. It's been shitty. It was shitty enough for me at least having to go back to work after having an extensive amount of time off that's always so hard. And then on Wednesday, I was like, you know what? It was like kind of slow at work. So I was like, oh, I'll put on a headphone and listen to the the certifying hearing, what's the Electoral College certification. I was like, I'll just see what these bozos are up to. I want to see what happens. So, I, I'm listening to that, and then I'm looking on Twitter, and, like, I'm looking at the protests outside, you know, like, via live updates via Twitter, essentially. I'm like, oh, shit, like, that that looks bad. And then suddenly, we're looking at the barricade coming down, and I'm like, uh, what? And then they're just walking up the stairs, and I'm like, where? Where are the feds? Like, w- what is happening? It was really surreal to watch in real time. Um, I've been feeling kind of like, I don't know if this is dramatic. I don't think it's like comparable as far as like significance to our country. Well, who knows? Who knows what you know? What it will look like for the next twenty years? But for me, it felt very similar to 9-11 where. I remember, like, it's different, right? Like, it's obviously different, but I remember that feeling on 9-11 of, like, it being very surreal and, like, watching in real time. I didn't watch uh, the tower, the planes hit or anything because I was in school, but I remember, like, watching on TV, like, over and over and over again that night and just, like, how everything kind of, like, was just, like, how every, so much stuff changed after 9-11 and, obviously we are still feeling the effects of that today. If you are a person that um, would like to be more aware of like policy in the United States, take a look at how much the Patriot Act is still (laughs) in effect. It's fucking wild. It's wild the shit that they get away with uh, under the Patriot Act, which is a direct result of 9-11 still today, 20 years later. So yeah, uh, that's kind of how it felt watching this live and like just, I mean, I didn't think anybody was like gonna, well, people did die. Like I didn't think they would get in to kill someone, like a, a congressperson, but it felt really just surreal. Obviously outraged. I am as like a person that follows along uh, with the news. I knew this protest was happening just like everybody else fucking did. I remember actually a couple people on my Twitter timeline the weekend before had been retweeting stuff like, hey, left left side demonstrators, don't go to DC on the 6th. Don't do a counter protest because it's going to be really bad. And I was like, "Mm, this feels dramatic because I've been trying really hard not to feed into the paranoia. I think that a big thing that Trump is trying to do is to make us like really paranoid and scared. And so when I feel like when I feed into that, like, he's not going to leave, he's gonna, we're gonna have to drag him out, there's gonna be a coup. Like when I feed into that, I kind of, and it it doesn't help anyone, first of all, it doesn't help me and my anxiety. And I feel like I'm kind of playing into his narrative. I think I talked about this back election time. I can't remember if it was here, just talked about in my classes a lot. But I was like, these feel really dramatic. But of course, I was wrong. (laughs) But the fact is, like, if I saw the tweets, then the FBI saw the tweets. Um, Since then, I've done, I've read a lot about, like, groups that have been actively tracking this stuff. And they had been sending since December screenshots to the FBI. It just, I feel really infuriated that I was able to get this far. I feel infuriated that a woman died and that, um, a cop, that two people died that day. It, you know, I watched, I don't know if I would recommend it, but I watched, uh, the shooting. Wapo got, like, a really close-up video of it and it's insane. I am, like, somebody that is so (laughs) against the use of force, but, like, she was trying to, like, shove herself through to the chamber, like where at the beginning of the video, within a minute of her trying to get through, you can see the, con- like a congressman is still there. And I don't really know like what else they do in that situation. Um I am, I think you guys know that I'm not somebody that like <laughs> is pro cop, but I feel pretty enraged for the fact that, how do I want to word this? That police were like, put in that position, like, it's not fair to them either. Now, I'm not talking about the fucking cops that were taking selfies with the protesters that didn't arrest any of the protesters that were helping the protesters get down the stairs. not talking about that. But in general, to put your police force in a situation where they have no tactical gear for a riot is really wild considering the last year that we've had. And I mean, really going back to I mean, going back forever, but in my memory, going back to, like, 2012 with uh, the St. Louis stuff and when, like, we saw the use of force against protesters there. I mean, before that, right? Like, at the the G8 summits, like, there's always been use of force against protesters, but that's where I really remember it for, like, me as somebody that's paying attention. And so, like, we know they have the to be prepared for that. And I watched that video of the cop that was like running away from the mob of people that was chasing him. And it's like, well, what else was he supposed to do? He doesn't have a vest on. He doesn't have a helmet. He doesn't have any sort of tactical gear. He has absolutely no backup. It's like a mob of 20 people. I just can't believe that it got this way. Um, I really, like I said, have been really like, this will not happen. (laughs) And so watching it happen was upsetting. Um, I am upset with the people that have let it get this far, of course, <laughs> including Donald Trump, but also the senators and the Congress people who have created an entirely false narrative of election fraud, which is not fucking real. I live in Pennsylvania. The fact that people are trying to throw out my vote is particularly infuriating. I voted... According to the law, the law that was passed in Pennsylvania by fucking Republicans, this law was passed in Pennsylvania by Republicans, and now they're calling it unconstitutional and that they want to disenfranchise me for a law that they passed, I find to be infuriating. I find the charade that all of these senators and congresspeople that have been keeping up with for the last when was the election? Three months, like the last three months, that they have been doing this because they're too scared to stand up against it. Because Trump and Trump's pack wield so much power. I feel angry with people, like people that just believe everything they read online and don't do any research, um, which is how ugh, we've gotten here. I feel worried because I don't really know how we cr- correct a post fact America. Um, I really, truly believe that's where we're living in. Like, this election fraud stuff is literally based on nothing. It's based on Trump not wanting to lose, right? Like, that's what it's based on. And Republicans not wanting Trump to lose. And so, and like, I've read so much about it. Like, I really have been tried, like, I've read all those fucking affidavits. I've read the counterclaims. Like, I've read all of the legal stuff. And it, There is nothing there. They've exhausted every option. It is not real. And the fact that we live in a country where not only, like, does your average person believe this because of the stuff they read on social media, which is where most people get their news or the stuff they see on Fox News, but the fact that people in position of authority, like our congressmen and our senators, are giving credence to this bullshit is really, it really scares me and worries me. And I try not to... I don't know. I try not to spiral over this because who, who does that help? You know, like it, it doesn't, I don't, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know what the correct response to this is. Um, as somebody that pays attention to the me- the media and has cared about politics my whole entire life, as somebody who wants to go into policy I, like, I don't really know how we combat this, how, you, like, how can you argue against non-factual information? It's not a difference of opinion. It's non-factual information. Like, these things did not happen. Um, I find to, I personally think, like, one of the greatest legacies of Donald Trump is going to be the total uh, mistrust of media and the total breakdown of uh, investigative journalism and news media in this country, which is really fucking scary. Media is so important. Journalism is so important. The news is so important. And the fact that the term fake news, I think, is going to have rippling consequences for a really, really, really fucking long time. Um, I, to me, that is probably, I mean, obviously, obviously, other stuff has been set in motion. Um, I think that there probably, possibly might start to be a fracture of the Republican Party, because I do know that there, since November, that there are a lot of Republicans that are disgusted with the fact that Trump won't concede and that these politicians are too scared to speak up to him. Like, I know that a lot of politicians are really mad about um, Mitch McConnell fucking over Georgia, which, by the way, isn't it so crazy that we fucking... (laughs) That Georgia elected Joe Biden and two Democratic senators is so incredible. Uh, Fair Fight Georgia is so incredible. And it really just proves that the South is not a guaranteed red zone. Um, The South just has enormous voter suppression, enormous voter suppression. And that if we can register voters and mobilize voters and get people to the polls, that there is... A chance that you know these fights start becoming that these states start becoming battleground states. I think that's, I I think that's so incredible. It means so much. Um, I can't believe that. Like we haven't even been able to think about that. I mean, look, I don't think that much is going to change. Right, Joe Manchin of West Virginia has a lot of fucking power here. I don't think the per- Democratic Party is some progressive beacon of hope. I don't think I'm not expecting to see like big big change. But I am at least, like, I guess breathing a sigh of relief that Mitch McConnell is no longer majority leader, that Trump is no longer going to be president. Like that, I'm I'm trying not to be so jaded that, like, I can't even be acknowledged that, like, that's good. Um, even if it's not, they're not necessarily, they not necessarily, they are not as far left as I personally want them to be. So that's, like, what I'm trying to do. But how did I get to the senators? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I got to the senators. But I'm just really, I'm really worried about the whole fake news thing. I'm, oh, you know, I really am wondering, like, if there's going to be, if this might be finally the time that our two-party system fractures, because I do believe there are many what I call barber Bush Republicans <laughs> who have been uh, disenfranchised with Trump for a very long time, my stepdad being one of them, who actually now, as a Republican in, in this election, voted straight Democrat on his ticket because he feels so... He's like, I, I don't even recognize the Democratic Party anymore. It doesn't make any sense... Or the Republican Party anymore. It doesn't make any sense to me. I can't, I can't support this. This is not real. Um, I think there are a lot of Republicans like that who, even though I personally... <laughs> do not agree with them, Uh, see the election fraud stuff as, like, pretty bananas, and then see the refusal to concede as pretty bananas, and have seen a lot of Trump's behavior as pretty bananas, even if they supported his policies and his tax stuff, (sighs) which is, for me, like, a whole other topic. But I do think that that there will be a fracture of this far-right, farther-right-than-the-tea-party bullshit that... And I guess on the left, too, there's going to have to be a fracture. I don't know, guys. I feel despondent a little. I feel worried. I would like the 25th Amendment to be invoked. Like, that's where I stand. I think the 25th should be invoked. I think that, oh, what this proves is D.C. needs to be a fucking state. Like, oh, my God, does D.C. need to be a state? There has been talk that um, if if Democrats got control of the Senate, they would push hard to make D.C. and Puerto Rico states, right? Because that would would help Democrats, because they would most likely both elect uh, two Democratic senators. And first of all, first of all, the fact that the Senate holds so much power and each state gets exactly the same representation is kind of wild. But that's a story for a different day. But like, it would help the Democrats to have D.C. and Puerto Rico be states. There's been a lot of talk about it, but, you know, they weren't really sure because it's not like the Democrats have a super majority. They need Joe Manchin particularly, but then other more moderate uh, Democrats to agree with them. And so people, at least what I was reading, was like, yeah, we want D.C. and Puerto Rico to be states, but, like, we're probably not going to push for this. But I do think that this has shown, like, why D.C. needs to be a state immediately. I mean, D.C. should be a state anyway, and Puerto Rico should be a state too, Uh, just because it's not fair that they're not a state, really. It's not fair for the citizens there that they don't have representation in the government like that. Like, that's, that's bullshit. That's fucked up. But the reason is, like, this may not have been so bad if there had been a governor of D.C. who had deployed their National Guard and who could have deployed the National Guard much earlier. the Part of the reason it got so bad was because Trump wouldn't deploy the Guard. He refused to let the National Guard be deployed. Uh, Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, tried to send in his National Guard like immediately. Nope, couldn't do it. They wouldn't let him. Like there needs to be an executive power in D.C. because I think you know, part of the thought has always been like, well, we don't really need an executive power in DC because like the president is the executive power in DC and like he or she <laughs> will make the decision on, you know, if the National Guard needs to come in DC. But um, yeah, what do we do when it's the person that is the president that we need protection from? Uh, I really think that the Democrats should be pushing to make DC a state. I think that should be priority number one. I think that if anything, that's what this showed. I think that obviously, you know, just the fact that they've made such few arrests that, I mean, five people there died, like three of heart attacks, but that cop that died was beat to death with a fire extinguisher. That woman who died, that QAnon woman who died for fucking nothing. She died for nothing for nothing, for no justice over a fake cause. By the way, I I don't know if I've really talked about on this podcast much. It's not really the platform for it, right? But I have been really interested in QAnon for quite a while. I don't know, maybe like two years. I find because I'm really interested in, like, the fake news of it all, I found the QAnon stuff to be really interesting. Over the summer with the Save Your Children, Save the Children stuff, I was, like, constantly posting things to, like, debunk this stuff. Um, if you want to follow, like, me for political stuff, I mean, not that I post it all the time, but you can follow my personal Instagram, which is at BentleyLiz1, or you can follow me on Twitter. It's the same name, at BentleyLiz1. Twitter's where I post the most, like, I t- post on Twitter 20 times a day. I love Twitter. I'm on there all the time. Um, I post a lot on there. But on Instagram, in my stories, is usually where I'm posting, like, if something's going on in the world, that's where I'm, like, posting my thoughts and feelings on it. Not on the the Feathers in My Hair podcast account because it's just not, that's not the platform for it. Um, So I like to spend a lot of, a lot of time. But I like to, if I see stories popping up that are very obviously fake and fueled by QAnon stuff, I will post on my stories, like, what actually happened, trying to debunk it, even though I'm pretty sure for the most part I'm, like, preaching into an echo chamber. You know, I do have, like, a bunch of people on my social media from high school and college, and, you know, not that my my stories get, like, 500 views, if that. Um, so it's not like a ton of people are seeing it, but I'm hoping that, you know, some of my friends from real life or from people that I've met once in life, maybe they're seeing it and being like, oh, it's the same, like, the Antifa shit this week. Like, the fact that senators and uh, congressmen were, like, getting up there and just lying that it was Antifa, just lying, just straight up telling a lie that it was Antifa that started stuff. Um, That, to me, is really scary. So that's how I feel about what happened this week. I, Guys, know, like, I can't get on here and just pretend like this is not happening. That's never been me. That's never going to be this podcast. I'm sure I lose listeners every time I do this. I'm positive I get bad podcast reviews every time I do this. Um, But to me, it's worth it to use my platform this way. I can't imagine not talking about this. I can't imagine getting on here and just being like, Teen Mom. After we had an attempted coup this week in the country. Also, the other thing is I'm trying not to spiral too much into like, this is what happened in The Handmaid's Tale. Because that's not great. That's not great. I'm just trying really hard not to spiral and to stay even. But it's difficult. It's not easy. But yeah, I hope everybody is okay. Um, I commend everybody that's speaking out against this. Um, and I condemn everybody who's not. And who... I, I don't know. It's really, it's, it's just really hard for me to see and I'm not really sure how as a country we correct this or fix this or deal with this. Uh, I'm worried. I'm really worried. So yeah, that's it. Should we talk about Teen Mom now? (laughs) I really almost just lost my mind. I went to edit in like a little intro, be like, skip to 20 minutes and I thought I deleted (laughs) the first 20 minutes. Anyway. We'll get to this. I'm going to do a quick break and then we're going to talk about the reunion and some other shit. Okay, so this week was the reunion, which usually I wait until all the reunions are done and then cover them. But I'm a fucking idiot and forgot that's what I do. (laughs) I seriously got to the end of taking notes and I was like, oh, why did I do this? Um, and I didn't really have time to watch another episode and take notes on it. <laughs> so stupid. I have um I'm taking a winter class. I don't know if I've talked about this. a public health class. It's so fucking hard. It's so hard. It's both well, it's accelerated first of all, it's five weeks. This was absolutely the worst choice of class for me to take. Um it's about grant writing, which is actually something that I want to do, possibly what my interview or my interview, my internship is going to be next year. I work on like a nine month long internship. And the first, my first choice is at an agency that gives grants and like does, does grants. So I, you know, and I want to possibly work for public health agencies, uh, but in the capacity of being an LCSW, it's a whole thing. So I was like, great. Like I had to take, because I didn't test out of any of the classes, I have to take an elective and, or I have to take you always had to take two electives, I think, but because I didn't test out of any of the classes, I don't have, like, open time in my schedule, my normal schedule, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll just take a winter course. Like, that's fine. I've taken accelerated courses before, um, and they had certain ones approved that were, like, outside. The one that they were offering in the MSW program looked great, but it just wasn't available. It was, like, during the day, um, which I can't do because I have a job. And so I was like, oh, well, of the electives, there was one that I should have taken, which was victimology was just totally online. And I was like, well, I don't really want to take a totally online class. Yeah, dumb, wrong. I should be in victimology, fucking crushing my papers in there because I have a fucking degree in criminal justice. <sighs> I'm so mad at myself. Um, so instead, I was like, oh, cool, I'll take this public health class about grants and nonprofits. It is so so much work and so little instruction. My professor, while very nice, is like very lackadaisical. We only meet like three or four times the whole semester or the whole course anyway. Um, So I should have just fucking taken the online class. She like uploads lectures the other days. Um, It's been group work the entire time so far, which actually, I mean, God bless the gods of group projects. I got so fucking lucky with my group. Everybody's really great. It's been It's been the easiest group work I've ever done in my life. So, I mean, actually in the end, at first I was like kind of mad about it. But in the end, I was really grateful because I don't know if I could have done all this without them. Um, But we have a 20 page paper due on Monday, but it was a group paper. So it wasn't that hard. Single spaced, single spaced. We're writing in single space in this class. And that was on the, the nonprofit agency we developed in two weeks. We did a presentation on it last week. Then tomorrow we have the paper due on it. I don't understand why the presentation comes before the paper. Don't ask me why. I don't know. And then uh, on Monday, we have a 10-page single-space paper that we write ourselves um, applying for a grant for our fake agency. Do I know how to write a grant? No. Absolutely not. Has there been almost any instruction on it? <laughs> not a lick. Not a lick. So it's just been a really hard class, and it also frustrates me because I mean, one, I'm like paying for it, so I want to enjoy my class, but two, like this is something that I actually am interested in, want to do, and so I wish I was learning and not just like following. So. The, the syllabus and the rubrics make almost no sense, but thank God she's uploaded, like, um, examples of all of the projects that previous students have done. And so, like, thank God for these examples, or I would truly have no fucking idea what to do. But, like, it sucks that I'm, like, writing this based off of, like, somebody else's paper. Like, that's not the way that I want to learn this. Like, yeah, in real life, that's probably how you learn it. But I'm paying $2,000. I don't know how much this, I don't remember how much this winter course was. I think it's $1,500 or... Or something in class. So like I'm not paying $1,500 to read a fucking somebody else's paper and write my own. It just is really, it's really frustrating. It's really hard. I'm actually quite mad at my department for suggesting this as an approved elective. I think that this is not conducive uh, for MSW students. Like I don't, <laughs> like guys, I have to create a budget. I don't know how to budget. I can't budget in my real life. I want to go back to writing about oppression. <laughs> This is not, I do not know how to do this. So um that's why I couldn't start another episode because today I had to, like, our, our thing is due on Monday. So I had to go in and, like, do final edits with that. Um Thankfully, which is probably good for us, I took the hardest part section in writing. Actually, I don't know how uh, my other classmates are in writing because we haven't had, or my group members, we haven't had, like, a strong, it's all been, like, inserting facts kind of, less writing and I'm a good writer and a strong writer, so I'm glad that I took the the hardest in the most like writing heavy section. And I put a ton of sources in there as I always do. And I'm glad that I got that because then I don't have to I feel like I don't have to like go in and edit anybody else's work, um, which I don't like to do, but sometimes has to be done in a group project. One good thing is she seems to be grading very, very easily. So let's pray the rest of that happens. And then, oh, right, and so I have this other paper due. Actually, it's next Wednesday, so I do have two weekends to do it, but I really want to have it mostly done this week so I can do an office hours with my professor if I need to. Um, so I did that today, and I did my the paper that's due on Monday, and now I'm doing this podcast. Um, suffice it to say, people that skipped the politics stuff for Teen Mom and went to 20 Minutes have now gotten six minutes of me talking about school you know, what's a teen mom podcast without 28 minutes of my personal thoughts and feelings on life and nothing to do with teen mom? <laughs> Look, I always feel like I'm making the podcast that I want to make the podcast that's enjoyable for me. Um, I've had a lot of people be like the only reason that you make a podcast that you made a podcast to talk about yourself and it sucks. It's like, yeah, that's why I made a podcast to talk about myself. What do you mean? Of course, that's why I made a podcast. Why else would you make a podcast unless it's to just talk about yourself? <laughs> I get though why people don't like it. I totally get it. Uh, I might not like it if it wasn't me that was doing it. And there are definitely podcasts that do like straight teen mom recaps, and they're probably more for other people, but, um other people say that they like these. So that's fine. Anyway, should we talk about what I did? Okay. So what I did with this reunion thing is I took notes on the reunion obviously, but then I also um asked people to give me ideas of things they want me to talk about. So not so much like an ask me anything where I um uploaded the the question tab, John, in Instagram. I just had people like send me DMs of things they wanted me to elaborate on. So I'm gonna get to those two after my recap to fluff this episode up because there's definitely not enough um, in, just the <laughs> in just the episode. So I'm glad that I did that. So we're gonna go over that. It's some random stuff. Um, one of them was that they wanted to hear about what happened this week for me, so here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. That is your segment. <laughs> okay, so the team Mom reunion, um, obviously they're filming it remotely. I did notice that they're not actually filming it. Well, I'm sure everybody noticed who watch it. The girls aren't filming in their house. They are in hotel rooms or Airbnbs, so they look like nice in the background. Here's what I don't understand about this setup. So Nessa and Dr. Drew are in New York or wherever. Maybe they're even they're probably in LA. I know they normally film them in New York, but via Common MTV definitely have an LA studio. Um Dr. Drew, by the way, did you guys see that Dr. Drew, who spent months calling this a pandemic and saying it's no worse than the, or that the flu is worse and that it's all media hype has COVID and has a lot of symptoms and is really suffering from it. So go fuck yourself, Dr. Drew. I have no goodwill for Dr. Drew. And if you listen to my Patreon podcast, I talk a lot about Trisha Paytas on there. Well, I talk about YouTube a lot on there. I will say like, if you like YouTube, I think my Patreon, Liz Explains It All, is really unique. I don't really know of any other podcasts that are like deeply talking about YouTube influencers the way that I am. I mean, it's not every week that I'm doing this, but like my YouTube deep dives, I personally don't know of any other podcast that's doing them. Um, So if you're into that stuff, you should definitely come subscribe to my Patreon, Liz Explains Patreon.com slash Liz Explains. I had Princess on this week to talk about Holly Madison. Um, coming up this week, I'm doing a Sister Rives episode. I haven't done a Sister Wives episode on Mary's Catfish. I don't know why I didn't cover Mary's Catfish um earlier when it was a sister wives based podcast <laughs> back in the spring, but I didn't. Um so I'm talking about that. I have some other fun stuff coming up. So if you care about YouTube, you should come to my Patreon. But Dr. Drew has been a guest on the Frenemies podcast, which is Trisha Paytas and Ethan Klein's podcast. And I am um, obsessed with Trisha the way that I'm obsessed with teen moms and that I like deeply hate her and yet cannot. Honestly, Trisha's my new Janelle is what it is. That it's not great. It's it's not good. And it's not as bad as it was with Janelle when I used to like cyber bully her, which by the way, I caught a block for Mackenzie (laughs) McKay. I'll get to that in a second. But Dr. Drew has been guesting on the Frenemies podcast, and he's just as infuriating there as he is on Teen Mom. And I'm like, can you fucking leave me alone, Dr. Drew? I'm going to share why I got blocked uh, by Mac McKee. So I really do have a, like, no contact rule with the cast these days. (laughs) Like As I said, I used to spend a lot of time cyberbullying the Teen Mom cast, so on most of my, like, on my regular Instagram, I'm blocked by a significant portion of uh, the cast. And on Twitter, possibly all of the made girls. And Ch- Not Chelsea, because I've never cared about Chelsea enough to DM her. Not DM. I would never DM any of them. Ever, ever, ever. That I wouldn't do. That's psychotic. Actually, what I did was psychotic too, but like I'm pretending like sending a DM is different and it's totally not. I'm just like trying to separate from myself from being a fucking wild freak on Twitter. But uh, Mac McKee, I had not been blocked from because I just, I don't know. I don't think it like is worth it to, to like interact with them. It just doesn't really do anything for me. But I do, (laughs) I do like to tweet at Mackenzie McKee sometimes because she's just so dumb. She's so dumb. And she tweets some wild shit. So I actually am kind of upset that she blocked me. I mean, I can get, I have two other in, or Twitter accounts. Like I can get on them and read her Twitter. But I always used to catch things on her Twitter that I wouldn't see posted anywhere else. Not like I would the scoop, but like nobody else cared to post about them. So that's a bummer because I'm not, you know, like I would just see them naturally come up. But Mackenzie McKee posted this crazy thing that said, I'm about to make someone mad, which by the way, it's like saying no offense. <laughs> if my mom would have died months later in her life, she died right before COVID, and they ruled it out they ruled it out as a COVID death. That's not what she's trying to say. She's trying to say that they ruled it as a COVID death and added it to the numbers. I'd be livid. For those who lost one for other reasons and had to go through this, I'm sorry. I'm not speaking for those who were sick and got COVID and then died faster. I'm literally speaking for those who did not have COVID and their families have to see it on their death certificate. A lie is a lie. It's just not okay. And yes, this happened to my very good friend. So um, I will say that the thing about that is that Mackenzie is truly obsessed with being an idiot. And I think I tweeted or I quote tweeted something like this girl just can't stop hosting stupid shit. Something like that. Something quite cruel. Um, and I caught the block for it and I deserved it. I absolutely deserved that block, but I couldn't help it. Um, I find her, this tweets to be very offensive. Um, I don't understand why people think there's this like grand conspiracy for doctors to make more money if they Mark COVID death on the death certificates. I also will say, don't understand her sentiment in this. I mean, I understand it because she thinks COVID is fake, I'm guessing. And she thinks it's like pandemic stuff and that like all these numbers are made up. Like she's one of those. My thing is, um, who cares about somebody's death certificate? I can't imagine really, like, uh, please don't get me wrong. Like all legal and... (laughs) medical documents should be accurate and if somebody did not test positive for covid ever like it obviously should not be on their death certificate should not because that's an inaccurate medical certificate and that like your medical records shouldn't be in a- inaccurate like that for sure i i agree with that but i personally do not believe that this is a phenomenon could this have happened to people sure do i think it's happening because they are like secretly conspiring to get more money because there's like this magical network, this secret network, and somebody who the somebody is, I don't know, pays doctors personally in hospitals if they mark more deaths as COVID? No. What I think is, is that um, medical records can get sloppy sometimes and they can be inaccurate, just like in any other profession, right? Like, you can get legal documents, as somebody that works in the legal field, like, you can get legal documents that don't say the right shit and that have typos on them and are inaccurate. And I think probably the same thing happens in overworked hospitals. So if that happened to Mackenzie's friend, which I'm not sure I believe actually happened, um, I would imagine it's that because there are no, I have a lot of friends that are uh, work in medical care, including one of my best friends who is a nurse, a frontline ER nurse. Um, and this doesn't happen. It's not a thing. So I, my thing is, it's like, why would you care if it said COVID? Like, even if it's inaccurate, I understand not wanting like data that is not factual. I, I understand that, but I don't really understand like why you would care, like I saw people replying to her comments, like my grandfather died and we were terrified that this was going to happen. And I'm like, why? He was, he's dead. Like, <laughs> he's dead. He's dead. I, why is that terrifying? I don't really. I just don't really get it. Um, and I say this as someone whose grandma has COVID right now and is not well. Um, have I heard about how she's doing in quite a while? No. Does my family like to share any information about anybody's health? Absolutely not. Do cousin Julie and I just have to send each other texts and be like, hey, have you heard this thing happen to our shared grandmother? And one or the other usually has, if I'm texting her, she usually has not heard it. And if she's texting me, I usually have not heard it. Um, did I have to find out that my grandma got COVID for my cousin Brian? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, is my family so fucked up? Yes, it is. <laughs> Oh God, Um, I had a little mental breakdown about that like last week to my dear stepmother and who is such a saint. (laughs) She, I know she already talked to my dad because my dad sent me some texts um, about other stuff that I had been complaining to her about, even though I made it clear I like did not expect her to be like a mediator between me and my dad. Like I don't think that's fair for it to be her role at all. First of all, they didn't get married until like five years, less than five years ago. I think they got married in 2017, maybe? They got married not that long ago. Um, they've been together for, like, 10 years now, but I really like her. We're very close, but, like, I don't expect her to have to play referee between my dad and I, um, especially because, like, the dad that she knows is different than the dad that I grew up with, and, like, I recognize that, but that doesn't mean, like, the history is gone, um... But she's a saint, and so I really appreciated that. She's a very nice woman. I like her a lot. Um, Anyway, Mac McKee is an idiot, is what I'm trying to say. Back to the reunion. It's one of those days, guys. It's really one of those days. So I thought the, like, I don't understand why Chelsea looked so bad. <laughs> well, first, just her makeup and her tan and her outfit were really bad really, really, really bad. I will say I like the hair length. I will give credit where credit's due, as you guys know I do. I liked how her hair looked, um, but the rest of it, it was weird, though, because she didn't just look bad, like, as far as her makeup. Like, she was lit terribly, and she looked grainy, but I don't understand why, because they weren't on Zoom. Like, they had a professional camera crew there. They showed the setup. They had full floodlights. Like, they had a professional situation going on there with professional cameras. This was not done on someone's webcam. Like, I don't understand why some of them look so bad. But Brie, on the other hand, did Brie not look beautiful in this episode? Did you guys notice this? Like, her hair looked great. Her skin looked flawless. She was wearing just like a black long sleeve shirt, a pair of jeans, a Gucci belt. She looked I honestly, probably the best she's ever looked. I thought her makeup looked great. I really liked the casual look uh, for the reunion. I don't know why Chelsea was in a power blazer. I'm not sure. But if you guys have noticed, if you follow Chelsea on social media, that line that she does with Lori Bells, every time they release clothes, there are at least two power blazers in there. And I am not sure why. (laughs) My old, my old roommate, my old coworker from my legal firm in Florida who is like my sister she used to have this bright pink blazer that was her mom's at one point I think and we would call her major laser power blazer when she wore it and so every time I see Chelsea in a a blazer I think about major laser power blazer (laughs) they look so silly they look so silly Um, and I like a blazer. Like, I love a tweed blazer. Like, I think a blazer is great and appropriate in a lot of situations. It doesn't make sense with the rest of the clothes that they put out. Like, with their distressed jeans and distressed hoodies. Like, why then they have bright yellow blazers that possibly have shoulder pads in them. That I, I can't quite understand. But Brie looked really good. Kale, camera-wise, looked fine. I didn't love the hair she was doing. She was wearing a coffee combo shirt, which, like, Okay. Okay, Macy. We get it. This is your brand. Whatever. She's getting free promo. I, you know, hate the player, not the game, I guess. Leah's makeup looked insane. Wild. Somebody on Reddit was like, she should have gotten a makeup artist that knows how to do makeup on TV. And I was like, babe, she lives in West Virginia. Do you think there's like a heavy amount of Emmy that know how to do makeup for TV? I doubt it. I mean, if I wanted a makeup artist that specialized in, well, I maybe could because I live near QVC. And so maybe I could find someone who works for QVC. But like, I don't, it would be not that easy for me to find one. And I live in a major suburb of a major metropolitan area. Um, Leah's blush looked insane. (laughs) Jeremy, what the fuck was Jeremy wearing? What was going on with Jeremy's outfit, Jeremy's hair? I will say Corey looked really good. Did everybody else notice this? He just had on, like, a simple outfit, but his beard looked well-groomed. His hair looked good. Like, a lot of times I feel like Corey looks really schlubby, um, which is interesting because Jeremy looked really schlubby to me now, and I feel like Jeremy is not schlubby usually. Like, Jeremy cares about what he's wearing, and Corey usually doesn't, but Corey... Came well. I He came together. I thought he looked good. Devon looked great. I hate to say it. <laughs> I like Devon's hot. I mean, he is. And I like that he cares about clothes. He looked really good. So props to Devon. Um, I don't think we saw Cole Jade. Girl, that eyeshadow she wears. <sighs> Jade's really into drag makeup, which like, fine. Good for you but it looks pretty crazy. Her mom looked really bad. Like not, I don't mean like her physical appearance didn't look good. Like as far as like, um, her clothes or whatever, or her hair, she looked like she always does in that regard. But like, I don't know if anybody noticed. I don't know if it was the lights because apparently these professionals don't know how to light these women. Most of them, unless you're Bree, Bree's team, great job. Kale's team, pretty good. But the rest of them seem to get really fucked by the lighting people. Christy looked really washed out her hair looked greasy like she did she didn't look well is what I'm saying um less of like she looked bad in the way that like I think Leah and Chelsea looked bad and more of like she looks unwell um and so did Corey her Corey who is Chrissy's husband they didn't look good I don't think they're in a good place Sean looked pretty good he was wearing this like bright bright pink hoodie um I liked the hair and the he had a beard too, I think, right? Whatever was going on, I ar- I already, like, can't remember. But I do remember thinking, like, he looked pretty good for him. Uh, he looked like he put a little weight on, which I think looks nice on him. Um, so, yeah, that's how people looked. <laughs> which is, like, the only. what else is there to talk about in a reunion than, like, how everybody looked? <laughs> I'm just going to quickly go through. Um, so, at the very beginning, they're talking in... Dr. Drew was like, Brie and Kale. Because Nessa and Drew are, like, sitting on couches in, that, like, a typical reunion set. And then behind them, they have all five girls, like, in vertical. Is that the word? Yeah, vertical split screen kind of. So, like, one, two, three, four, five. And next to each other, are Brie and Kale. And um, Dr. Drew was like, Kale, how do you feel about being next to Brie? And Kale's like, I have no comment on that. <sighs> the thing about Kale that drives me fucking insane is like I don't understand why it's like impossible for Kale to be the bigger person like Kale would have looked so good if she was like you know like what happened with me and Breeze in the past we are not friends but I look forward to being with civil with her in the future I I regret everything that went down between us and I like hope going forward we can be civil like No, but Kale absolutely cannot do that. That's a a feature about her that I fucking hate. And then Brie also did a similar, at least Brie, like, and even though the tone of her voice was really obnoxious when she did that, at least Brie was like, I don't care about this. Like, I hope you're, I hope you're well. Like, Brie's, or Kale's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I just think that, like, I feel like Kale's always getting softball pitches to look good and every time she swings and misses I wish that she had somebody in her life that was like hey when they ask you about Brie like smile and be like yeah you know like that was crazy what happened between us and we're obviously not friends but like so much is going on in the world today that like it's hard to hold grudges on stuff like that and going forward I just hope things are okay between us like she would look so good I would have been like oh good job Kale good job. But no, Kale can't do that. And it's because Kale lacks in the moment self-awareness, <laughs> as I've discussed. Like, she seems to have a decent self-awareness in hindsight, but not one in the moment. And it's just like, it would be so easy for her to look good there. And Brie, I think, I don't know, do I? it's not that I think less of Brie as a person. I think of Kale, because I don't really think very highly of Kale. And I don't, dislike Brie as much as I dislike Kale, I guess. But I think I think of Brie in general as more immature than Kale, I guess. I don't know. It goes back to the thing where I feel like I'm constantly rooting for Kale to do better and she absolutely never does better. And I don't think I'm rooting for Brie to do better. (laughs) I think Brie just kind of is who she is. Um, She's not awful, but she's not, at least in my opinion. I know some people really hate Brie. I think Brie is I like her well enough. Um, I think she's pretty nice. I think she's immature in a lot of ways, but I also think that she's like a pretty good mom and a decent person. And she's not like, she doesn't fill me with rage at all. I guess because I'm more indifferent towards her than I am towards Kale. So when Bree's like kind of annoying in her answer, I'm just like, okay, whatever, Bree. But when Kale is annoying in her answer, it's just like another time that I'm rooting for Kale to do well and she doesn't. Like another time she's let me down. Um, so they talk about Chelsea leaving, and Leah said that she was really surprised that Chelsea was leaving, and then Kale was like, well, you know, Chelsea and I talk fairly regularly. <laughs> now remember, Kale and Leah are, although Kale says something later that confused me, but as far as I know, Kale and Leah are no longer friends. Um, if We definitely talked about it on the podcast. Back last year, maybe last fall, when Leah was like super involved in her cult, Kale started... <laughs> posting insta stories like what do you do if your friend's in a cult <laughs> and then, like posting directly about the thing that leo is in so i don't know if they are friends anymore after that we know they went through that period of being very close but i don't think Leah and chelsea have ever really been close at all. I think Kale, I do believe that Kale and Chelsea text regularly. Like, do I think they're good friends? No, of course not. But I, they've been on the show together for 10 years. They've both been through an extremely unique experience. And I think that they probably send texts with each other every once in a while. Like, I, I think Chelsea is Kale's work friend. Like, I think that when something goes down with MTV, Chelsea, or Either way, I think Kale texts Chelsea or Chelsea texts Kale and is like, what the fuck? Like, when randomly Brianna's added, but they didn't tell any of the cast beforehand, or Bristol Palin joins the franchise, or any of that shit happens, or something maybe crazy with Janelle happens, like, I can see Chelsea, like, sending a screenshot of the article to Kale and being like, what the fuck? Like, I think they're, like, that. I don't think they're necessarily, like, great friends in their personal lives, but I think they're very good work friends, which... You know, we all have to have a work friend, right? So, Kale says, like, they talk a lot. She, irregularly I think is what she said. And she knew Chelsea had been going back and forth for a while. And she'll miss her. But she understands, like, why she's leaving. And she thinks that, like, if, if you, like, feel, because Chelsea feels so relieved that she's making the right decision. Which I think is true, Uh, Jade said she's really surprised. Jade's like, you know, Jade looked like she was just finding out. I don't know if they knew or not before, but Jade is like, uh, oh. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea let Leah and Kale know, even though I don't think Leah and Kale are, or Leah and Chelsea are really friends much at all. I'm sure they have each other's numbers, and I bet Chelsea let Leah know. Um, so Kale, or Jade's like, well, you know, you have a new baby coming and with everything you're doing, I thought you have a lot to tell story-wise, but I'm really happy for you. I thought what Jade said was really appropriate. Brie once again kind of gave, Brie was like, I, oh my god, I just flung flung my ring off my hand. I thought Brie was going to give a better answer here because she started with like, I don't blame her and but then like kind of kept a nasty-ish attitude of like she has she's gonna do what she wants to do I wish Brie had been like I don't blame her being on the show is really hard you get a lot of criticism and I get why she doesn't want to be on it Bruce tone this whole reunion was annoying to me Chelsea did say do you guys hear this that all while this season was airing she kept getting a bad feeling in her stomach It's the Cole edit. I'm telling you, it's the Cole edit that pushed her over. I'm sure she's been emotionally, like, done with doing the show for quite a while. Like, when they asked if everybody was, like, sad they weren't in, like, doing the reunion in person. And Leah's like, I'm so sad. And Kale's like, yeah, I'm fine with it. And Chelsea's like, I love it. I love not having to travel there. (laughs) Like, Chelsea doesn't give a fuck about being on this show. It was just so... It was too much money to turn down for... I think the pros outweighed the cons forever and I think that a bad at it with Cole and the criticism they were getting online pushed them over the edge and I honestly like I don't have a problem with that. Like I think that's a fine reason to leave the show. Like if you honestly like if I was doing if I was doing Feathers in My Hair but I am doing Feathers in My Hair literally at the second. But if all of a sudden I was getting, like, extreme hate on, like, all of my platforms, which thank God I don't get hate on any of my platforms, just in the podcast reviews, which I don't read. But, like, if I was suddenly getting, like, flooded in my Instagram comments, flooded in my Twitter mentions, like, just about how awful I was, like, I would stop doing this podcast. Why would I do it? I mean, I don't make nearly enough money on this one to stop doing it. On Patreon, I would have to think a little harder because I make a a decent amount of money on there and stopping it would definitely like impact my finances as far as paying for school. So like I, I would have to think about it, but for feathers in my hair, like I don't make that much money doing this. I love this podcast and I love my audience, which is why I'm still doing this every week, despite the fact that I'm fucking busy. I, I love feathers in my hair and I, but I would stop doing it. So I understand for Chelsea you know, she mostly was loved. She got hate, of course, because everybody does. But for the most part, it was pretty good comments and she made a lot of money. And now she doesn't need the money because she's really at least as much. I mean, I'm sure she needs the money because even though influencers make a lot of money, it's, you know, it could always go away. And so the more money you make when you're in a volatile career like that, the better. But I think that with Chelsea, it's like, it's time to go. It's time to pack it up. She doesn't like the hate she's getting. She doesn't need the money. So fucking go. Good for her. I really do feel like happy for Chelsea that she set herself up. Like Chelsea overall is a fine person. I just don't like her on Teen Mom. And I criticize her because I criticize everybody on Teen Mom. That's the point of my podcast. My podcast should be called Hating on Teen Moms. Although Amanda's podcast is called Amanda Loves to Hate Teen Mom. So like this should be called Liz Loves to Hate Every Single Person on Teen Mom. Like I... I just, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't bother me that she's leaving, is what I'm saying. And I get why she's leaving. And I think it's totally the right choice for her family. I think it's the right choice for Aubrey. I think it's the right choice for Cole. So they talk about that. Then they go into the individual segments. So Jade comes out first because, you know, she's kind of the least important, right? Jade comes out first and they talk about what happened in her life this season It's a lot of yada, yada, yada for me. It was interesting. I was curious as to when this was filmed. I remember when it was filmed because that's when we found out Chelsea was leaving the show because somebody in production told the Ashley that she had announced it on the reunion. So that's when we found out that she was leaving. How long ago was that? Because it seemed like Jade had not seen, like, had, did not know that the video was going to be in the show. Like, it wasn't like, yeah, I know that happened. I chose not to watch that episode. I don't think it had aired yet, would be my guess. I'm not sure what it aired at this point, but Jade is like, what? What do you mean you have it? You have a clip? Somebody sent you a video clip of that? Like, you, her and Sean both seem really surprised by it and did not realize that, like, the actual video itself was going to be on an episode, which would have made me mad. (laughs) So I say props to Jade for, like, sticking that out. I also really agreed with Jade where she's like, I don't want to watch that. It really has nothing to do with me. That's between them. Like, I think what she's saying is, like, those are three drug addicts, like, fighting with one another and I don't have any part in that, and I don't want any part in it, I don't need to have any part in it, so I don't want to be involved in that. I think also it's, like, it's just going to make me mad. And I, another thing is, I think had Jade had gotten to the point where, like, she didn't really care what was true or not, um, it didn't really matter to her because she made her choices and her decisions, and so, like, for her, it's like, well, why would I watch this? It would just probably make me angry. So Sean comes out and basically they talk about the fact that Sean was erratic. (laughs) And Sean says it's because of drugs. And I was like, so when is he using? And Dr. Drew says to Sean, I can tell that you're mostly sober or mostly not using. I said, how? (laughs) How can you tell that, Dr. Drew? (laughs) I mean, I guess, I guess I agree because I, I think I've said similar things where he does seem to be doing better because he is able to care for Chloe most of the time, but that was only in a couple episodes. He had some really bad episodes, too. So, I I don't know. Drew's always making these, like, super bold statements where it's like, I can tell you're not using anymore and that you're totally better. Or when he, like, was, like, to Javi, he's like, well, you're a love addict. And Javi's, Javi's like, huh? He's like, yeah, you're a love addict. Like... <laughs> is always making these grand statements that I'm like, is that right? <laughs> okay. Um, he does call out Sean being a lazy piece of shit, basically. Sean said something so fucking funny that made me laugh because I could actually deeply relate to this. Sean acknowledges that he's not ambitious, but <laughs> he wishes he was ambitious and he likes the idea of being an ambitious person. <laughs> That killed me because, same, I am not ambitious, I'm very lazy, but I like the idea of not being lazy. Like, I like how my life would look, I like the idea of my life uh, being lived without me being a lazy piece of shit, but that's not gonna happen, that's not who I am. But I just thought that was so funny, like, yeah, like, I like the idea of me being ambitious. <laughs> uh, so, Jade and Sean are still together, they say... By the way, did you guys catch this? Did you catch this? Sean was absolutely lying about not living at Jade's. I like, was I the only one who caught this? Because Drew goes, where are you living right now? And Sean's like, at my own place. Like the way that he, he had to take a full beat to give an answer. And I'm like, how is he paying for, I mean, I guess with MTV money, he could be paying for his own place. That's probably not what they're not saying. But I don't think he has his own place. I'd be very surprised if he had his own place. If we find out next season he actually has his own place, I'll be pretty surprised. He definitely sounded like he was lying. And then um, Dr. Drew's like, well, you know, like, are you far away from Chloe? And Sean's like, "Mm, about like 15 minutes. like." (laughs) I think Jade was like, don't, you have to tell them you're not living with me. I can't deal with that right now. We'll deal with that when next season airs. And you, like, I, I want, I want to pretend like you're not living with me for a while. So they take a break and Chrissy and Corey are going to come out. And what happens is, is Jade basically lets Sean know about the video and Sean's like, no, this is bullshit. And Sean's Like, walks off because he doesn't want to talk to Christy and Corey and he doesn't want to fight with them. There is, oh, I forgot to mention this. There is one weird thing where they're talking about when he like broke the window and he says something like, Jade is like, You had a temper tantrum, which I think is true. And then she says something about like physical and he's like, Well, no, 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 I've never gotten physical. And Jade's like, Yeah, you're right. Like, acknowledging that he doesn't hit her is what they were saying. And then Drew is like, Well, you did get physical by punching that window, like, you did get physical with Corey, so where's that anger coming from? And Sean's like, I'm not talking about that. And Drew's like, but obviously, like, you got very angry, like, and Sean's like, no comment. It was very weird. It's very weird. I don't don't know. Sean's a weird bird. Um, Chrissy and Corey come out and just have Jade on. Chrissy apologizes for sending the video. She says she really regrets it. Um, they ask her how she thinks Sean's doing and how he can be better. And Chrissy's like, "Mm, that's not for me to judge. (laughs) She's like, I do not have any place in saying like what Sean needs to do to get better. (laughs) Corey is like, I just want Sean and Jade to keep their problems to themselves. And Jade's like, we do keep our problems to ourselves. But when you live with us, like you hear our problems. I thought that was funny and accurate. So, you know, they're not great all of them but they're pretending to be a lot better than they are okay then leah comes out and her makeup looks terrible as i said they talk about her book um drew starts crying about how proud of her he is i guess that's when jeremy comes out and he's like asking leah about the book and is asking why she's decided to be open about the abortion and then they say um Dr. Drew's like, do you think you've broken the generational trauma? And Leah, like, yells, like, yes! Okay, here's the thing. Do I think that Leah is doing a significantly better job than her parents did? (laughs) Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Like, since reading her book, her childhood was horrific. Like, it was really bad. She was sexually, uh, she was molested. She you know, was physically abused by her father. Her mother had no boundaries with her and had a lot of incidents that were really inappropriate. Her mom was never around because she was always working. Um, Leah started having sex when she was really, really young because she, like, thought she had to with her then boyfriend, even though she, like, she didn't even really know what sex was. Like, Leah had a terrible childhood. Um, she went to, like, I think she said she went to like 10 different schools, so she had a really 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 hard time. So obviously she's doing much better, but I don't think it's right to say that she's broken the generational trauma because she didn't get better before she had kids. She got better after she had kids. And I commend Leah for that. Like I said in other episodes, I'm very confused on her timeline. I think Lyle li- Lyle. <laughs> I think Leah lies a lot, a lot, a lot. I don't think she's ever going to be completely honest about her using. I don't think, I don't think she's, well, we know that she drinks, but I'm not sure she's totally sober from all pills. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that she's no longer actively abusing opioids and that her life is significantly better than it was, but I'm not quite sure. Because she lies so much, it's like hard for me to get a good understanding of what exactly is going on with her. And I think that she needs to not discount the fact that, um, she wasn't really sober until her daughters were, like, seven. And that's a... I think for Leah, and I I would guess for a lot of parents of young kids, it's probably easy to be like, well, they won't remember that. And, like, by the time they remember, like, I'm fine. But that's not how trauma works. And, like, we experience trauma from very young ages and it affects how our brain is wired as children and then it affects how the rest of our behavior works. Um, Like sometimes I'm, I read this article, I think I've talked about this, where they said that a lot of ADD in girls could possibly be PTSD because it, like, presents in similar scenario, like, in similar symptoms, which, like, I've often wondered if that's true for me. By the way, can I tell you guys, um, I know people that, like, I remember in one of my AMAs, somebody was like, how does your ADD affect you in life? And I was like, eh, everywhere, all of the time. And I had a performance review this week at work, which, <laughs> we're at a very, very, very small firm, and I... Basically, I have two bosses and they like, it's a very casual, it's a casual job. It's a casual firm. Um, the female boss and I are like, we get along so, so, so well. She's great. We like talk about our personal lives and I really, really like her and the, the male boss is fine. Like, he's super nice. He's great. I really like, I really, really like my job. I feel, I don't necessarily like what I'm doing, but I feel really fortunate for my job, especially like. You know, with the pandemic, I was really worried that we wouldn't have a law firm anymore. Um I'm grateful that they brought me back and gave me a Christmas bonus even though like they were it had to be a little less than last year and my boss like pointedly was like don't read into that, but we just wanted to make sure we give you something. Like I really care about like the place that I work. I feel really grateful for it. Um so we had a performance review this week and the male boss was like, you know, because he's the one that I like do work for for my female boss because she's younger. So like she doesn't really have me do a lot of uh like legal assistant work, but I do like personal assistant stuff for her, which is totally fine with me. Like it's nice to run errands in the middle of the day sometimes. Like I get to <laughs> just like go and run personal errands for her. It's actually really nice. I get out of the office, like I enjoy doing it. But um, so he's the one that I do like, you know, the legal work for, and he was like your work has gotten so much better this year. He was like as a po- like as far as like making mistakes and checking your work like I feel like you've come so far with that and everything seems so much more organized and <laughs> So like, yeah, it turns out that like medicating my uh, ADD was fucking necessary. It's so funny. I just like didn't realize when the last like five years how much it was affecting me. I knew it was affecting me, but I didn't realize how much it was affecting me until I got on medicine and was like, oh God, I'm doing a lot better than I was. Um, So that's funny that my performance review was like, (laughs) you're a lot better at your job. And another reason I'm so grateful for my job is they're like so accommodating with school and I'm gonna they're gonna let me go to four days a week um in the fall. Well starting in August when I cause for school for the internship, you have to do 14 hours. It used to be sixteen hours, but with the pandemic, they dropped it to fourteen hours to do fourteen hours of internship a week. And at least one of those like you have to commit to one work day a week, which I get it's fair because like the majority of They want you to be able to like be in the place during the work day, which I get. Um, But they have opportunities. I like signed up the very first day possible and got um, my placement interview like as soon as possible because I wanted to make sure that I would get a placement where I could do nights and weekends as well. So basically the plan is that I'll do like eight hours on one day and then my six hours like either on a Saturday or at night's like remote work. So my job is going to let me go to four days a week, which I am really grateful for. And why am I talking about this? I don't know. Oh, okay. So Leah is like, so sure that everything is different with her and the kids. And I just think that she shouldn't discount, um, like the first seven years of her kids' lives. And I mean, really moving those girls in with Jason, moving them out of Jason's, like, Everything that's going on with Jeremy, the back and forth with Jeremy, I think she should not discount that stuff. Do I think, like I said, I think she is doing significantly better than her parents were. But I I don't like that she's, like, not acknowledging the trauma that she's done to her children. I talked about this when she was, you know, the way she talks about her addiction. She, like, never acknowledges, like, being a bad mom at that time ever like she's always like I did this for my kids I did this for my kids but there's no reflection of like how much harm she did to her children and I find that very weird honestly um I'm somebody that really believes that you can get over anyway um and that AA is absolutely not for everyone but I think that Leah I think I said this a couple weeks ago like Leah would really benefit from the 12 steps because I think that she has a real perception problem and I think that she doesn't realize the scope of like what she did to her kids and her family as a whole. And I think that she would really, she really needs to know that. I think that she only really thinks of her addiction as affecting herself, which is not true. It's not true at all. And so has she broken the generational trauma? I don't know. Call me when the girls are 30. You know, like, the girls aren't even teenagers yet. We don't know if they're going to be acting out because of their, whatever trauma they experienced as little children from Leah being a drug addict and going back and forth with men and having men in and out of their lives. Like, we don't know what, if they're going to have substance abuse issues, you know, because it's a family disease. Like we, we don't know. So I just find I, what I would like Leah to say is like, I would just like Leah to acknowledge how much she fucked up when it came to parenting, like, and take it out of the eye and like talk, like she only talks about how she hurt herself or what she was doing to herself. And I wish when, um, Drew said like, did you break the generational trauma? Like if somebody asked me this, I don't have children, but one day I would either like to have my own children or I would, if I don't ever have my own children, my plan is to foster children. It would be my goal. I'm hoping if I don't have kids when I'm like 40, I think I would like to start fostering children. Um, and then I know maybe possibly adopt via foster care, but also maybe not. Maybe just be a foster parent. Um, but I think that my, if somebody asked me, like, do you think you broke, let's say I had a kid at 25. <laughs> Honestly, I I don't know. I think that you can't be the one to say that you broke generational trauma. I feel like your kid has to say it. You know? Like, I feel like my best friend has four kids, as you know. She had a uh, pretty unhappy childhood, and I think that she is doing such an incredible job. And I truly do think she's broken the generational trauma. Like, I I really do think that when I watch the way that she mothers her kids. Um, But also, like, Maybe, you know, maybe those kids are still going to have issues from, like, how she's parenting. Like, because nobody's perfect. I don't know. I just think, like, it's really hard for me to explain what I want Leah to say. But I feel like if somebody said, did you break the generational trauma? I think what I would say is, you know, I'm, if I was Leah, I would say I'm aware that, like, the first seven years of my girls' lives were really impacted by my drug addiction. Like, I am aware of that and I am doing everything I can in my power to now give them a healthy life and to give them healthy coping skills and to be a, the best mom that I can be. So I don't know if I've broken generational trauma, but I know that every day I'm working at it. It's just the cockiness, I guess, with which she says it. Because here's the thing, like I said, I know that my friend, my best friend has broken generational trauma, but like, Have we talked for a hundred hours about how worried she is that she hasn't? Yeah. (laughs) Am I constantly being like, stop, like she, something happens with her kids and she's spiraling because she's like, oh my God, I'm going to ruin them for life over the way I reacted. And I had to be like, stop. Like, you're not your mom. Your kids grow up with love and support. Like you had a bad day and this is not going to be what they remember because their lives are good and happy. You just remember that because your life was not good and happy. Um, Because I think that's the healthy way to have it, right? We're like, (laughs) the healthy way is, like, to be unsure and to, like, just be constantly trying to do better. I think the fact that Leah seems so cocky and confident just kind of, to me, is like, you should be a little less sure of yourself. (laughs) When it comes to this, you should be less sure of yourself. You should be more willing to admit that it might not be true. Wow, apparently... I'm like, wow, this episode is long. It's because I've only talked about myself in this episode. Um, So as I said, Corey and Jeremy both came on. Basically what they did is Jeremy apologized to Corey. He said they had talked in a couple weeks back, which makes me think that like, well, I guess the reunion was last season. Jeremy took a while to apologize is what I'm saying. (laughs) But Jeremy did personally call Corey and apologize. I thought Corey... You guys know, like, I actually think that Corey should have went harder and been angrier because I think what Leah and Jeremy said was so fucked up and what they did was so fucked up and so uncalled for and so unnecessary. But, like, Jeremy is, or Corey's a, like, mature, bigger person. Like, he did what I fucking wanted Kale to do. (laughs) He came out and Drew was like, well, do you regret how you acted? And he was like, Yeah. I totally regret how I acted. I shouldn't have done that. I got way too mad about it. I exerted way too much energy towards it. And it just wasn't right. It didn't help anything. Like, he totally was, like, took responsibility for his part in it, even though I personally think his behavior was quite justified. I think, like, what he was saying is, like, I really regret going online to talk about this, which is probably right. Like, I think his behavior was justified, but in reality, he probably should have gotten on the phone with Leah and cursed her out and not, like, done it on Twitter for all to see. Uh, He did say, Drew's like, you haven't been here in a while. Like, why would you come this year? He goes, well, I got online and promised everyone I'd be here, so I'm here. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought what Corey said was really mature. He didn't defend his behavior at all at all. He didn't say one negative word about Corey. He didn't say one negative word about Leah. He did not, like, He all he said was, like, I regret what I did. I want to be in a better place. We've learned and grown from it. Like, that takes a big person. Um, Because Corey could have made that a lot worse. Like, Leah, honestly, look, Corey is no fucking saint. He is no saint. No man is a saint, let's be real. But Corey is no saint. But the fact that Corey is so forgiving towards Leah. Leah needs to be so grateful for He could have made this like an unbearable situation. And I, uh, that's probably why Leah let Jeremy do it, honestly, because she knows that Corey will essentially forgive her for anything. I think that she knows that Corey is so adverse to having drama between the two of them that she can kind of do what she wants and he'll eventually forgive her for it. But Leah is really lucky. She's really lucky. Okay, so let's talk about Brie and Devon. Um, they talk about a little about Brie getting chlamydia. Dr. Drew was like, I want to thank you for doing that on camera. I agree with him. I think, um, we should be more open and honest about STIs. They're really fucking common. I think it's great that she went and got tested on TV. I did think it was funny though because she basically said, um, <laughs> she gets tested regularly anyway, which like good for her. And so she thought it was you know like she gets tested let's say she gets twice tested twice a year and has never had an issue so she was probably like yeah MTV like you can come with me (laughs) we'll do this on camera and then she like gets the call about it on camera and so she has to share it like I thought that was very funny she was like that was I definitely was like oh shit (laughs) I didn't want to share that on camera but I think it was good she said that Drew was like were you nervous about that being on TV and she's like yeah yeah They talk a little bit about the guy that she was seeing and she admits that he was much older, but she says like it was nothing. Um, She says the reason they're not together anymore is the pandemic. And like then she looks down and Dr. Drew's like, you're lying. I can always tell when you're lying. You're not a good liar, basically is what he said. So you don't have to tell us the truth, but you're lying. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. So then Devon comes out. I think that's important as like all the individual Bree says. So Devon comes out, and remember, they're calling him Devoin. I will explain this every time because people get really confused. I'm surprised they didn't explain it this time, but apparently, Devon's real name is Devoin, which makes sense if you look at the way his name is spelled, right? Like D V O I N. Does there an E at the end? I can't remember, but it's spelled Devoin. Like that makes sense, but. He said in one reunion, Dr. Duranessa asked him, like, if Devon was his name, and I guess he said it was Devoyne, and they're like, well, do you want us to call you that? And he's like, yes, so that's why they call him that. But he said something like, you know, they called me the wrong name. And so everybody took it as, like, Brie made up a name for him and then, like, refused to call him by his real name. I think it's more likely a case of Devon has an uncommon name, and so people, like, at school probably just, like, didn't pronounce it right, and he stopped correcting them. A classic case of this is my good friend Stas, who's Anastasia, but it's also spelled the same way as Anastasia. So, like, her whole life she has to be like, no, it's Anastasia. Um, So she said, like, at a certain point she basically just, like, stopped correcting it with teachers because it just, like, wasn't really worth it for her. And I would bet, because remember, Brie met Devon in school, so what I'm assuming happened is at school he was called Devon. That's what I would think happened. And so that's how Brie knew him. Um, Because it doesn't make sense to me that he would go on TV as Devon. uh, He wouldn't come back on TV as Devon. That he would never correct anybody at MTV. I guess I could understand not correcting Brie and her family. But it just, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Um, People use that as an example of how Brie and her family are so disrespectful. But I kind of think it's more likely that Devon goes by Devon. But like it's technically pronounced Devoin would be my guess. So Devoin comes out and now (laughs) Devon, we're going to call him Devon because that's what he's called on the show. And they talk about his job. He works at Bonefish Grill. It's been really hard for him because of the pandemic. Of course, I definitely feel for him there. Um, And so they start talking about money and Nessa asks like, well, why do you get so defensive about Brie asking you for money, um, which is a fair question. And Devon is like, well, you know, it's just about stating the obvious. And Brie's like, remember, Brie and Devon are together in real life. Like, they're sitting on a couch together. And Brie's like, what, well, what's the obvious? What's that? And Devon says, well, it's obvious. It's black and white. Look at who's making more money. And Brie is like, how is it fair that because I make more money, he doesn't have to pay anything, which is what I've been saying. And I just want to point out that COVID's only been happening since March and Nova's eight years old. Is she eight? Nova's seven or eight years old. So we're blaming COVID? COVID explains since March. COVID does not explain. Also, if he, through August, or through, yeah, through the end of July, right, is when the extra six hundred came, so like if he was getting unemployment, he was probably making enough that he could throw her fifty dollars a week. Is what I'm saying from unemployment, um, with that extra six hundred, like that extra six hundred. Oh, who knew that universal basic income actually made people's lives easier? I'm I'm truly shocked. But with that extra six hundred uh, a week or however much it was, he definitely could have still afforded to give Brie just off of the extra 600 regardless of how much he was making from the Florida stuff, he could definitely still give Brie at least $100 a month, if not the $200 that she's asking for. Remember, she's asking for, what, $250 a month? Devon is like, well, it's not fair because you're the one that decides of all the things that she's doing and what the cost is them, And I don't get to, like, have any say in the cost and what's more efficient for me and what's more cost effective for me. And Brie's like... Mm, this is bullshit. Um, which I, once again, I agree with. The thing is, is that Brie is not asking Devon to split in half with her. If Brie was asking Devon to split things with her, then, like, I would understand why Devon was like, this, I need to have a say in this. Brie is asking for a flat rate. A flat rate. That's all she's asking for. And Devon's throwing such a hissy fit over it, I'm sorry, I'm just never gonna be on his side about it, ever. Um, but did everybody catch that Dr. Drew was like, when Brie was like, I don't want to talk about this. This is bullshit. I want to leave. I want to go home. Of course, that's Brie's thing. And Devon's like, anytime the truth comes out, she wants to leave. Like, I just wish Brie could keep a calm head so she could be like, Devon, I'm not asking you to, because Dr. Drew goes, he has a point there. And it's like, no, he doesn't because Dr. Drew didn't watch the clip where she straight up asked him for only $250 a month. And if she sat there and she was like, Dr. Drew, actually, he doesn't have a point because I'm not asking him to split anything with me. I'm asking him for $250 a month, which is a pretty low amount. And if we went to court, he would probably be ordered to pay more. So really, like, I'm asking him for the bare minimum and he has not paid me ever in her life. So asking him for $200 a month is nothing, and I don't really understand why he's using, like, the cost of gymnastics to justify why he doesn't have to pay $200 a month. That's all she has to say, but Brie's very immature and hot-tempered, and she couldn't do it. So that's really it for the reunion this week. This episode, I had a lot more to talk about than I thought I would, so I'm gonna look through the things that people asked me to talk about, and talk about like one or two of them and then uh sign off for the week. Maybe next week's reunion will be more boring and I'll talk about them then. <laughs> okay, this I wanted to talk about. So somebody asked me if I could explain who Without a Crystal Ball is. And yes, I can. I'm going to explain it quickly. She's like, why is she related to the teen mom world? Why am I seeing her everywhere? So I'm going to go over this quickly um because I've, I've been getting a little more into what's going on with her, but I feel like it's speaking a different language when I try and figure it all out. But Without a Crystal Ball is a YouTube personality. She, like, has a YouTube pop culture, like, influencer. Honestly, like, she kind of does what on her uh, YouTube, what I do on my Patreon, except she does, like, more current stuff. She gets on, she talks about what happened with the Duggars that day and stuff like that. And like what drama is going on on YouTube. Like it, there's a million channels like that, right? I wouldn't say it's commentary so much as because it's not that thoughtful in my opinion. <laughs> but she also kind of considers herself a journalist because she reports the news. Now is the news teen mom? Sure, but it's still the news. So I actually found out about her a while ago because Molly McAleer had sent me her and was like, you should watch her channel. Like, she talks a lot about Teen Mom and she's kind of weird and like, I don't really know what's going on. And then like, I don't know, a year later, uh, without a crystal ball, her name is Katie Joy. Katie was the one who got the exclusive Amber tapes. She's the one that released all of that, uh, Amber dialogue in the videos, uh, the really scary stuff that Andrew had filmed. She got all of that. Um, so that's how she's connected to Teen Mom. And I mean, she's connected to Teen Mom because she like talks about Teen Mom on her channel, but she got a little more connected because she's the one that had all of this information. She, look, I find her unwatchable, I'll say, <laughs> is how, how I'll describe it. She's not. She's not for me. I mean, she's, for some people, her videos get pretty good views on her live streams. I'm sure she's making a lot of money. By the way, I've been watching a lot of YouTube live streams and, like, I, I wouldn't do it, but at the same time, I'm like, when I'm watching these live streams and watching, like, how much, I don't, look, when I'm watching how much money some of these live streamers make, like, with not that many viewers... I'm like, I could do that because what happens on YouTube live streams, I think it's the same on Twitch, but I don't really fuck with Twitch. But what happens on YouTube live streams is that like you're talking to the camera and then there's a comment section going like an Instagram live. But on YouTube, people can basically like super chat, which means they like pay a certain amount of money and then their comment will pop up so that you see it um, and people pay 5 10 20 25 I have this person that I really like that I watch his, like, Animal Crossing videos and on New Year's Eve he was live, so I sent him a $10 super chat because it's just, I don't know, it's, I didn't say anything except, like, Happy New Year. I don't, for me, I don't, you know what I mean. I don't need him to, like, acknowledge me, but I, I like him and I support him, so I sent him $10. Um, it's a way, so that's, like, YouTube live streaming has been, become pretty profitable to people and, I can't really see myself actually doing it. But, like, when I watch these people on on doing it, I'm like, I mean, they're really just doing what I do on a podcast. They're not editing videos. (laughs) They don't have sets. Like, they're not vlogging. It really is, like, I just don't. I, like, it's such a, I don't know. I don't think I would ever do it because I don't, I couldn't take, um, like, that direct interaction, I don't think. Um, I think it would attract too many people that don't like me is honestly the main reason I would do it. Wouldn't it be worth, like, the amount of hate that you get when you do those type of things? I don't mean, like, the amount of hate I specifically would get because it's me, Liz Bentley, but just, like, when you do stuff like that, you attract, you're more visible, so you attract more people to hate you, is what I'm saying. But I really, like, I watch those and I'm like, I could do a good live stream. Like, it's what I do on this podcast. Like, I... It only takes me a while to record these podcasts sometimes because I get bored. <laughs> Not bored, but, like, I'll be talking about to you, Mom, and then I, like, look at my phone. Like, I get a text, so I press pause, and then I look at my phone, and it's an hour and a half later. But, like, today I've been recording straight. Like, I can get on mic and talk straight without needing a break for quite a long time. <laughs> without running out of things to talk about, as you can tell. So I've, like, maybe I should do YouTube live streaming, but I I don't really see myself ever doing that. But Katie Joy does that. She um, reports on, like, the Duggars, like I said. So she considers herself a journalist. And she then also, like, became friends with Matt Bayer, Amber's Matt, if you'll remember. Um, the thing with Katie Joy is that she has, like, probably the most intense YouTube drama there ever is. For reasons I can't quite figure out. But people fucking hate her. Like, hate her her on a level that is, like, more than they hate Janelle. Like, that's how much the people that hate her, hate her. If you go to reddit.com, like, if you go on her subreddit, which is W-O-C-A-B, like, without, whatever the letters are and without a crystal ball, um, if you go on that subreddit, like, you will see, like, people fucking hate her so, so, so much. So, she kind of is popular and that she's like so hated. She's always having drama with other YouTube channels. Um, I always just like, I follow her on Twitter, but I stay pretty far away from it because a lot of it is really unwell to me, honestly. Like, uh, the stuff that happens, I'm like, on both sides. On both sides. The people that hate her, the channels that she's fighting with, like it's just incomprehensible for me. So I mostly stay away from it. But she's really associated with Teen Mom because she's always talked about Teen Mom. And then she really like went viral for the first time with the Matt and Amber tapes. Like that's how she got like a big following. Like she had a little following before, but I think she went from like, you know, 5,000 subs to 20,000 subs with that. Like it was significantly more viewers. So Recently, you're probably seeing her name again a lot because she's being su- <laughs> she's being sued for defamation by Tati Westbrook. Who's Tati Westbrook? She is one of the biggest beauty gurus on YouTube. It's possible you heard about her drama with James Charles and Jeffrey Shaw Jeffrey Star and Shane Dawson. Um, they are su- her and her husband James are suing Katie Joy for defamation for I don't know how much money, but it's a pretty serious suit. Um. I think that Katie thought she was protected under Tati and James being public figures. <laughs> Which, like, I, honestly, another reason I probably shouldn't have a YouTube live stream is because I don't want to get sued for defamation, I guess. <laughs> like, uh, she, I guess what she, I guess Tati and James had sent her multiple cease and desist. I guess I, like if I was, like, for whatever reason, somebody sent me a cease and desist, one of the teen moms, I probably would stop talking about them just because I, like, wouldn't want to deal with hiring a lawyer. Like, right now, one of the lawyers in my office has a client who is getting sued and they are, his client is, like, 100% in the right, but they still have to go through the whole rigmarole and pay the money to defend themselves against it. So, I wouldn't want that to happen to me. I would probably stop. But Katie, I guess, ignored multiple cease and desists. And now she's being sued by Tati. And it's a pretty big deal. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with it. They're trying to get it thrown out, I think. Her team, she's like constantly melting down on Twitter. So yeah, that's the whole like without a crystal ball of it all. I would say like, I guess, find, like watch her. But it's also... I don't know. It's so much that, in my opinion, it's, like, hard to fully, I guess, like, fully, fully dive into her because it's almost like speaking a different language. Oh, I do want to talk about this. This is not team Mom related. (laughs) Stassi Schroeder from Vanderpump Rules named her new baby Hartford Charlie Rose Clark. First name Hartford, Yes, like the city of Connecticut. H-A-R-T-F-O-R-D. Middle names, Charlie and Rose. And her last name is Clark. (laughs) Now. Hartford is the ugliest fucking name I've ever heard. Like, just, that is an ugly fucking name. Hartford as a city is nothing worth naming your child after. Uh, It's a pretty mediocre city from what I understand. Just like a whatever city in Connecticut. It is... There's a trend right now of giving girls, like, and boys too, but, like, surnames as first names, which I like in some cases. Like, and I love a, like, a masculine name on a girl. Um, but Hartford is not one of those. (laughs) The worst part about, part about all this is that it's going to become popular because Stassi is very popular, unfortunately. Um, it's so, so, so bad. Hartford is so, so, so bad. They should have just called her Hart. I don't really know. They should have just called her H-A-R-T. Megan King Eggman's from Real Housewives of Orange County has a, one of her sons is named Hart. Like, that's a weird name, but it's not like, what the fuck, when you hear it like Hartford. Now, what we need to talk about is the middle name of it all. Now you guys know I famously have said a million times that middle names are not real, they do not matter, they have no consequence on life. And I still believe that. However, if you don't know who Stasi is, she was on Vanderpump Rules. She got fired because she is racist as fuck and had a incident that went viral of her being super, super racist and trying to get one of her black, uh, co-stars arrested over literally nothing and basically her and their other, her and her friend Kristen Doty essentially like stalked and harassed their co-star based on and like accused her of being, um, like a million things. Like it was really bad. Like it was really, really bad. If you just look up like saucy, Short Schroeder racist, um, you can watch her video on her interview on Tamron Hall, where Tamron Hall is very kind to her, honestly. And then Saucy's people put out afterwards that she felt attacked by it. And Tamron said, oh no, not today. And she released this whole statement basically being like "Sassy is an awful person. I actually went easy on her because she's pregnant and I kind of felt bad. I, like, they knew every single thing that we were going to ask in advance. <laughs> Stassi sucks. So in 2017, in November 2017, as the Me Too movement was happening, Stasi decided she had a podcast. She still has a podcast, I guess. I'm assuming the podcast is coming back. Um, it, it got canceled or she stopped doing it when she was fired from the show and was getting all that bad press. But I would imagine that the podcast is coming back because a lot of people still like her. A lot, a lot, a lot of people. So... Stassi had this podcast called, episode called, Are We on a Male Witch Hunt? <laughs> this is at like the height, the height of Me Too. Are we on a male witch hunt? And what Stassi said was, well, she really, this podcast is an hour and a half long. She took it down very shortly after it was up, but I heard it because I happened to be, it was like the Friday after Thanksgiving that year. Like, I was not at work for whatever reason. And I, like, as soon as it went up, someone posted in a Facebook group, like, you need to go listen to this now. This is wild. Uh, there's are still transcripts of it up, I think. If not transcripts, at least like detailed articles of what was said in it, but it was awful. She had this woman on named Jen, her friend, um, who is from LA, which is why she had her on, because she's like, Jen's so smart and she's from LA. Um, so basically what they said was that the Me Too movement was bullshit, that 50% of the people that were saying it lied. Um, the co-host, Jen, said the guest, I guess, Jen, said that um Roman Polanski's victim was asking for it. I swear to God. I swear to God, she said that his 12-year-old victim was asking for it. Um, Stassi declared that no one could ever make me suck a dick, so anybody that says that happened to is lying. Um, What else did she say? That she's really scared for men at this point and that she believes that these women that are doing this are dragging everyone down. Like, that's, like, the basic rub of it. Like, she, it was an hour and a half long of the most horrific, Shit. I understand you can misspeak on podcast, And like, uh, this was not a misspeak. It was like a purposeful, like she, she even put it in the description. Like I thought long and hard about what I wanted to say. Um, She was, they were talking about hamsters in this, which are like, I don't remember what the H stood for, but it was like actors, models. Like it was an acronym for like women that they said like sleep around to get to the top. They made fun of the casting couch. Like it was incredibly bad. It was one of the most offensive podcasts I've ever heard in my life to this day. Like, it was so, 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 so bad. Um, She lost all of her sponsors. Of course, she got them all back. Um, It was, she got a ton of bad press for it. But of course, everybody moved on because that's how the world works and nobody really gets canceled. So with all of that in mind, if you did not immediately put together Charlie Rose, Charlie Rose is a extremely famous di- disgraced newscaster he was on CBS for many years I think he was on PBS for a long time I think there used to be a NPR like I think NPR used to air a Charlie Rose show I feel like I remember listening to that but Charlie Rose was extremely famous like an investigative journalist right like he was on CBS like he was an anchor he worked with Gail King like that that level and Charlie Rose was obliterated by the me too movement he had so many women come out and say that he harassed them like he is awful there were so many cases there were so many accusers he was one of like the biggest names that lost a job in the me too like in the height of the me too movement like he was he he's disgusting he's an awful person he is not he actually is one of like the few people that got really canceled in my opinion i think because he's so old he just like retired um I'm sure Matt Lauer will try and come back eventually, but, like, he, he is really awful. So, (laughs) Stassi, the famous Me Too hater. (laughs) Stassi, who famously believes that 50% of the Me Too accusers are uh, making things up. Stassi, the known misogynist. Stassi, the person who hates other women, named her child Hartford Charlie Rose Clark. I, when I, like, read, I was like, Hartford's ugly. And then, like, my brain really focused on the Charlie Rose of it all. And I got catapulted to the moon. Just catapulted to the moon. I was dying. It is so fucking stupid. All she had to do was name her baby Hartford Rose Charlie. The same exact names. I guess I used Charlie because that was her, his dad's name. And Rose was her grandmother's name. Something like that. So, like, their family names. She could have used the same fucking names, just in a different order. Oh my god. What I think happened is that neither Bo nor Saucy watch the news or care about the news and know who Charlie Rose is. Now look, does everybody on this earth know who Charlie Rose is? Absolutely not. Does even everybody in America know who Charlie Rose is? No. But he's really well known. Like he is he is a household name, in my opinion. Like I would say, like most people over a certain age like know who Charlie Rose is, or at least like heard of him when he was getting canceled. A lot of people know who Charlie Rose is. He's quite famous as far as, like, news anchors go. And um, (laughs) I think what happened is um, Stassi and Bo had not told anybody the middle name before the baby was born, and the two of them did not know who Charlie Rose was. And so I think nobody was able to warn them to not name their baby the same exact name as a famous sexual harasser. That to me is, I hate Saucy so much. I think she's a truly vile, horrific person. Like, I think she's bottom of the barrel, shitty person. I cannot fucking stand her, actually. And so for her to just prove again what a fucking idiot she is, because she's a fucking idiot. Like, the fact, I'm not saying she's an idiot for not knowing who Charlie Rose is, but like, it just confirms more to me that like, Saucy doesn't watch the news or know anything about the news. Um, And the fact that, like, she is too stupid to even Google her kid's name. If she had Googled Charlie Rose, probably if she Googled Hartford Charlie Rose, I would bet a story about Charlie Rose and Hartford would have come up. Like, oh my god, she's such an idiot. Oh, it was just such chef kiss perfect moment for me because I hate her. And I like to see people I hate have bad things happen to them. I saw some people being like, oh my god, you need to like not make fun of a baby. And it's like, look, I'm not making fun of a fucking baby. Like use your head. I'm not making fun of anybody's baby. what I'm making fun of is their name. And if I can't make fun of a baby's name, then like, why am I here on earth? You know what I mean? It's like when people say things like, you're just jealous of that person's house because you can't afford it. And it's like, well, yeah, I can't afford it. Of course I can't afford it. But like, that doesn't mean I don't hate it. Okay. Uh, quickly, somebody, somebody said that last week, uh, Sean bought Jade a glass rose from the gro- or the gas station to apologize and she read that you can use glass roses for crack and for me to explain that that's true. So, here's the thing. If you go into a gas station, oftentimes in gas stations, they'll have these glass roses that come in a case of glass. They come in two different. There are two different types of cases, and I would imagine what sold near you, near you depends on if there are more meth addicts or more crack addicts near you. So near me, what they look like are it's like a a round tube, essentially like a cylinder, um, like straight on either end, and the glass rose is inside of it. So what you do is you like take the rose out, obviously, and then you get like tinfoil and something else. It's, there's a name for it. Um, I think a poor boy. I can't remember off the top of my head. But what you do is you smoke crack out of it. And it's a way for gas stations to like legally sell crack paraphernalia. Um, and then also there are ones that are globed at the end and you smoke meth out of them. You don't smoke crack if the pipe has a globe on it. You only smoke it if it's straight. Uh, but I guess you could probably, I saw somebody say that You could, like, smash off the end of the globe and use that to smoke, which makes sense. But yeah, rose stem, um, if you, like, bring someone a glass rose, like, (laughs) it's funny, but, like, if you're a drug addict and you're talking about, like, getting a a glass rose or a rose stem, like, it's, it (laughs) means, it means that you're gonna, like, smoke crack or smoke meth, depending on what it is. Okay, there was one more that I really wanted to find, but now I can't find. Okay, this is, I want to talk about this real quick, and then I'll log off for the week. So this is from Kelsey. She said, um, in honor of Dr. Drew's bizarre defense of Devon during the reunion, maybe you can reminisce on some of his similar moments from the past reunions. I agree with what you've said before, that he doesn't watch the episodes. He's only there to host, and that's why he's so clueless. But some of his takes are plain weird, or plain wild, even if he only has the printout MTV gave him beforehand. So yeah, I totally agree with that. That's totally true. I don't understand the positions Dr. Drew takes a lot of time. And two ones that I can think of of the very top of my head are if you go back and watch the Teen Mom season one, the reunion, like Dr. Drew essentially blames Macy for Ryan being a piece of shit and like basically says that Macy didn't work hard enough to keep Ryan (laughs) It's really wild. Like for many years, Dr. Drew would take Ryan's side. It was really, really weird. And then the other one, of course, is if you'll remember when Janelle and David were together, obviously, well, they're still together, but when they're still in the show and I think Barb and Janelle were out and Barb or maybe Nathan, I don't know who it was, but they were talking about how controlling david is and how he's very abusive and everybody's worried about janelle and dr drew's response i don't know if this was before after like the collarbone incident and like what we had really seen on tv at this point but like we knew david was abusive and dr drew said well you know maybe it's really good that janelle has somebody that control her because like i think she just needs to be controlled that is a wild thing to say. A wild, wild, wild take. Dr. Drew is such a dickhead. I hate him so much. And those are like examples of wild things to say, like regardless of if you have seen the episodes or not. Like you do not, if, if somebody gets on stage and is like, I'm really worried about how controlling David is, your answer is not well, maybe she needs to be controlled by someone, especially Janelle, who you know is so fucked up and so vulnerable. And also, like, if a woman or a girl, because at this point, uh, Macy was still a teen, like, is telling you that their baby daddy is a fucking deadbeat and will not do anything to get better and they don't want to be with him anymore because he's not a good person and he's not nice to them and he doesn't do anything as a parent, your answer is not, well, maybe you didn't try hard enough. Okay, so that's it for this week. I hope everybody has a nice week and we will talk again soon. And um, hopefully there are no uh, cues, cues, cues that happen between then and now. Okay, bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.